Well, today we're starting a brand new uh, teaching series called Experience Christmas. How many guys enjoy Christmas, the Christmas season? The, uh, the peppermint white chocolate mochas from Starbucks, way too expensive, but it's so good with extra whipped cream on there. It's a season where the sights, the sounds, the smells remind us of good times, but it's also a season, and maybe you find yourself in that season right now, where it's not so easy because this year maybe there's been some tough losses, maybe some things in your life that remind you of the memories Either way, you find yourself in the spectrum, and it all starts the day after Black Friday, right? We start gearing up for Christmas. This year, I've been praying and praying and praying as to what I need to be speaking on to the church, and it was a simple concept, and is this, to make a conscious choice to see Christ in Christmas. I think we can all uh, share how Christmas has become about stuff, things to eat, places to go, and some of the people that you don't want to meet, right? It's a season where it's so busy uh, for one reason or another. Maybe you're busy getting gifts, or maybe you're busy planning the parties, or Maybe you're busy with Christmas cards and trying to take pictures for the Christmas card. You talk about stressful. Try getting a family of five together for Christmas pictures. We've tried it every year. This year, we just gave up, you know? We've done it every year. We're like, forget it, you know? We just, they, people know we just had a baby. It's okay. But we can go through the hustle and bustle of life and the festivities of the season, of the expense of the season, and maybe the over, overwhelming loss of the season because maybe you lost someone that was close to you this season, and you can get to a place that you completely forget what Christmas is about. It is not about any of the stuff I've mentioned, or any of the stuff that we can buy, it is about Jesus Christ being born in a manger. See, I think at Easter, we have such a natural tendency to focus on the work of the cross. But the work of the cross sounded like a baby when he first came. Salvation came to us as a child. And I think sometimes in Christmas, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm kind of, I do this sometimes as well. I kind of worry more about the things outside of Jesus than I do about Jesus. Matthew 1, 18 to 25 talks about this birth. It says this, this is how the birth of Jesus and Messiah came about. Notice it says came about. This is how it came about. It was so important that Matthew wrote it down. See, he didn't just write the piece about salvation and the cross. He actually put an account of the birth of Jesus. Isn't that important? His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. You talk about an awkward Christmas. You talk about an awkward time. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. You talk about dramatic. 
I mean, this, this right here, just even before we get to verse 20, it's a lot. I want you to, to think about that. You're about to get married. You find out that your future spouse is pregnant. And not just pregnant, but the Holy Spirit did it. It's so awkward, you guys aren't even laughing. <laughs> even now. You talk about back then, they didn't have this notion to see into the future of Jesus' life. They had to watch him grow day by day on the way to fulfilling his destiny. He was just a kid for most of his life. I mean, he was special. I mean, he was all about God, but he was just a kid. He wasn't God. I mean, they were just going on a leap. On verse 20, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. By this point, I am saying, what is going on? If I was in Joseph's shoes, I'm like, what is happening to me? And said, Joseph, son of David, I want you to read this out with me. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The greatest way to experience Christmas, this Christmas, is to remind ourselves of why Jesus came. He came to free us from our sins. We could not do this on our own. There is nothing you and I could do to achieve salvation other than what Jesus did. Isn't that an amazing place to be? That we, followers of Jesus, if you have made a decision to follow God, you have had the privilege to be part of what Jesus did for us, to make it not only to heaven, but to live a life of purpose. Verse 22 says this, and this is one of my favorite verses when I was studying the scripture. All this, I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, all this, took place to fulfill what the Lord had said. Oh my goodness, I could just preach I could just title the message, all this. See, some of us, we look at our lives and you're like, God, I don't see you. I don't feel you. I used to know you. I used to be younger and immature and I kind of accepted Jesus. Maybe some of you guys in that place. And God is saying all this he knows about. Isn't that amazing? In verse 22, all of the chaos that happened in Joseph and Mary's life happened because of what was to come. It was to fulfill what the Lord had already said. How many times do we want a life with no problems? How many times do we want an easy, comfortable life? God, take away this pain. It's Christmas, God, give me a break. It's about Santa Claus and snow and wreaths hanging everywhere and lights and red and glitter getting on our clothes. It's not about pain. 
And God wants to remind us today through his Holy Spirit that he is in control. That no matter what your experience is today, he is in control. So many of us have issues in our families, maybe extended families, friends, in our finances, in maybe our emotions. Maybe we have issues that nobody else knows about but yourself. God is saying to you that he is with you. He knows the chaos. He knows the ups. He knows the downs. He knows the loss. He knows maybe you're having the best time of your life right now. He knows it all. It's part of his plan. I think as followers of Jesus, we have to learn to trust God, to trust him, to really trust him. See, the title of the message today is Experience Life. That's part one of this series, Experience Life. Well, how do we experience life when our life may be crazy? I'll tell you how. You go and trust what Jesus is saying and doing in your life. You say yes and amen. Man, this week was busy for me. It was wild. I mean, it was crazy. I was driving, going out of town, coming in, babies crying. And it's, it's like when it, rain, it, when it rains, it pours. Have you heard that terminology before? So much of life is just like that right? When it rains, it just pours. But God is saying to us today, you can experience life in the craziness. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said. I sometimes think when I get to heaven one day and uh, see the Lord and the Lord kind of replays my life in front of me, I'd be like, I don't know what I was worried about. I was so worried all the time, God. I all the time, I was just kind of holding, you know, just clenching and sometimes clenching, you know, behind you. And you can't even sit because you're clenching too hard, if you know what I mean, you know. You're clenching all the time, trying to control life. God's in control. We can experience life in the desert. Verse 23, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel God is with us. God is with us. He wasn't, just, he wasn't just there in the past. He's not just going to be there in the future. God is with us. I like that kind of God. One that's not dead. One that's not, you know, used to be powerful. And maybe one day, you know, when I achieve something, when I do all these things, he becomes powerful in my life. No, he is with us. When Joseph woke up, (laughs) he peed his pants. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I would be scared if I saw an angel in my dreams, you know. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Joseph was a man of God. So you hear a lot about Mary especially in areas where it's Catholic. You hear about Mary. You know that Joseph could have altered the destiny of Jesus. That's how important the decisions that you and I make when God speaks to us to do something. 
When he says to do something, he didn't have a conference. He didn't call his pastor. He didn't go ahead and talk to Mary first. He did what the Lord asked him to do. What a faithful servant of God. And you know what's funny? He took Mary home as his wife. I could just hear Mary saying it right now. I know Audrey would probably say this too. What's going on here? Who's, who, what happened? Why'd you change your mind? I thought you were about to divorce me. What just happened? And he's like, don't worry about it. An angel of the Lord appeared to me in a dream and said, you're the one. I got you covered. Let's go get married. I think Mary was probably in a place where she was just like, what is happening? I got a baby from the Holy Spirit. I got a husband who was about to divorce me. And now he's saying he's not. Has he lost it too? Am I losing it? Are we losing it? You talk about a chaotic season in their life. And this was just the beginning stage of the journey. This was, the baby wasn't even here yet. And this was happening. See, one of the greatest inhibitors of experiencing life is this four-letter word. And it's something that we all feel. It's called fear. Fear is the gap between doing what God has called us to do and living a nominal Christian life. Fear is the gap that if we learn to cross just like Moses and the people of Israel, the waters will part, but if you don't do it, fear will stare you right in the face and give you every reason to say you shouldn't, you can't, you won't, you couldn't. That's why when you get a word from God, when you hear from God, you got to run with it. That's why. You know, sometimes we just think it's blind faith, Pastor, to do stuff like that. You know, I've yet to meet a lot of people that actually do this. I think in America, we've got to a place where everything has to be comfortable. Everything has to be checked off. Everything needs to sound good, look good. We got to get nine confirmations. We got to have a prophet this, a bishop this, apostle this, a pastor this. Come and speak into her, pray over our lives. We're going to fast and pray 40 days, almost kill ourselves. And then maybe I'll say yes. You know what faith really is? It's making a conscious choice. Say, yes, God, I really don't know how this is going to work. But I believe you told me something. See, I've yet to see someone who God spoke to, and actually they said, you know what? God spoke to me, and I felt it. I could not stop them. You know what I tell those people? Even the crazy ideas, sometimes as a pastor, I hear about the crazy ideas. I have to hold them back. <laughs> I'm, the one who, I'm the person of reason in their life. Some people are just so gung-ho about it. I know it's from God because I have to hold them back. I can't do it. And so I tell them, I think God spoke to you. It was years ago when I joined the ministry and I graduated high school. And uh, I didn't want to go into being a pastor. I just didn't think it was cool or I didn't really feel like I needed to be on a stage or anything like that. Uh, The truth is I didn't really want to. And I was like, I'll go do something else. And I remember taking that year after high school off to see if the call of God was real in my life. I couldn't shake it. I couldn't shake it. I took a year just to work, 
to see if this is real. You know, uh, I had great parents, you know, great parents. But, you know, when, you, when your child says they're going into the ministry, just like any other normal parent, you're like, are you sure? You're signing up for a life of suffering, you know? <laughs> are you sure, you know? And uh, my parents were concerned, but I knew I couldn't shake it. Even after that year, I went to business school after, still saying no to God, <laughs> trying to shake it off me. I was like, I can't, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I don't want to do this. And I remember I couldn't help but do it. See, that's what the call of God is like. You can't shake it. You can try to. It'll be five years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, 60 years, and you will tell your grandkids about what you should have done. And I have met those people too. We have to learn that in order for us to experience life, we have to make a conscious choice to move from a place of fear to a place of faith. I want you to write that down. That's not in your notes. From a place of fear into a place of faith. See, this journey is a process, guys. This life is a process. How you raise your kids, it's a process. Do you know you can raise your children, dedicate them, you know, present them before the Lord, and one day they grow up. <laughs> they make their own choices, right? But faith can sustain you through life. Faith can take you from a place of operating from fear and always sitting in the back row to go ahead and living a life that is full of the abundance of God. I like that statement. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had already spoken of. Yes and amen, God, to the chaos in my life. If I'm living the way that God has called me to live, all the chaos is just gravy. It's not the turkey. Maybe bad gravy on the turkey. You can say no to the gravy, right? Get some more cranberry onto the turkey, right? It's always about food. I'm already hungry, right? I want to give you four reminders today as we jump into the Christmas season. Four reminders for you to see Christ in your Christmas. The first is this, God has not forgotten you. This is one of the very first lies the enemy always says, that your problems are like nobody else's problems. Your questions are like nobody else's questions. That God doesn't know who you are. God didn't create you. You're just off on your own, doing your own thing. Even as a follower of Jesus, sometimes you can get to a place where you feel like you're asking God. Why would you ask your dad? He already knows. See, Aria, I was, I was having a tough time with her trying to tell her to sit down. Okay? I know she has a problem sitting down. I don't have to ask her more than once for her to know, dad wants me to sit down. Aria doesn't need to ask me for any more candy during a service for her to know that I'm going to say no. <laughs> Why? Because we have a relationship. I have not forgotten about Aria, even though I have two other kids. See, if I'm this way with my own earthly children, why would God forget you? Why would God forget me? 
God has not forgotten my pain. Verse 19, it says this, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He was a good guy, right? He had in mind to divorce her quietly. He didn't have to do that, but he was doing the right thing. But after he had considered this, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? That after he made up his mind, he had such a relationship with God that God had not forgotten him, the Holy Spirit had not forgotten him, still came to him and said, hey, by the way, Joseph, here's the dream. What is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. See, you can't even run away from God. You can pretend to say that he's forgotten you. But you're probably running away from God. God has not forgotten anybody here. If you feel like a nobody today, you are a somebody to God. If you feel like you're not that talented or good looking or anything, you are that talented to God. You are a child of God. You don't need to perform for your father. From before time, God has been thinking of you as his masterpiece. I was preparing this message and found out initially I didn't know that we had a couple of children to be dedicated. And we thought we didn't have any. And then we found out kind of a couple of days ago we did. And I imagine, I was like thinking, what's it like to, to look at a baby and to think of the potential and to think of the promises from God's perspective. What's it like to look at a life and to see the process of how this child can impact the world? You know, when I was holding Daniel just now, he's, you know, he's, he's got some girth to him. You know? He must have grown a little bit since he came out. He's definitely not just nine pounds. He's a lot more now, right? But as I was holding him, I was thinking, wow. I wonder what he's going to look like when he grows up. I wonder what he's going to do when he grows up. I wonder the people that he's going to impact when he grows up. See, you are God's masterpiece. See, if you don't realize that, then you will live a life like you're forgotten. You will live a life that's like pretty average. If you don't feel like you're special, you are special before the Lord. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He has planned for us. How long ago? Long ago. Every good thing has been planned for your life. All we have to do is say yes to God. You are not forgotten. For the single people here today, you do not need to be married to have purpose in your life. We got a few amens. Trust me, you know, you can ask the married people in the house. God really uses marriages <laughs> to make us more like Jesus. What you need to do if you're a single person in here is to be more like Jesus. That is your job. 
If you're married in here and your marriage is on the rocks right now, God has not forgotten your marriage. God has not forgotten you. All you have to do is turn to your father and say, God, help me, and he will help you because you are his masterpiece. I had a chance to uh, visit with Phil Bernard this week, and he has a painting over his fireplace, and it's, it matches perfectly with the stone on the fireplace. And I've seen this picture before, but it was on a, in a different place, and it didn't come up as much. You know, it didn't have the right backdrop, I think. And he told me, oh, this is the same painting. You've seen this before. I said, no, I don't, I don't think I remember seeing this. And I remember thinking, wow, who drew that? I started looking at the painting, and there's so many layers upon layers and layers of detail in this picture. Do you know that God knows the color of your skin? Do you know that God knows your ability in your mind? He knows your physique. He knows how much hair is on your head. Do you know that he knows everything about you even before you were born? And he calls you his masterpiece. Makes me want to walk up with my shoulders up a little bit more, you know, like, hey, what's going on? Life going good? No, I'm God's child. That's how we should be walking around the streets of Cleveland. Not with arrogance, just knowing that you belong and you are his masterpiece. The second is this. The second reminder for us this Christmas season to keep Christ in your Christmas, that God has a promise for you. Can you stop wondering when you're going to be famous and walk in his way? When you, would you stop wondering when it's all going to work out one day? God has a promise for you. He already has it. Verse 20, the second part in verse 21 says, Joseph, son of David, the angel saying, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus, Yeshua, because he will save his people from their sins. God has many promises, not just one, many promises, and he keeps all of them. He keeps all of them. If God has given you a promise, he keeps that promise. If you're someone here today and your children are not living for the Lord, he keeps his promises. You know, I, I'm, I'm ready for the other two kids to get dedicated. And I think about that. You're just kind of dedicating them before the Lord. Well, you know what you're doing? You're saying to the Lord, this child is not mine. This child is yours first. And I'm standing on the promises of God that no matter where this child goes, whether they're away from the Lord for a season or, no, or, or, or not, that this child is his. I speak that into my kids all the time. You know, when I think about Aria, I'm speaking that all the time. God promised me certain things about you, and it's going to come to pass. It's going to come to pass. I'm not waiting till it happens. God keeps his promises and he keeps all of them. Some of us, we've given up on the promises of God. <laughs> we've completely said to God, God, maybe 
you will do it. Maybe it'll happen, but I guess I'll just wait until it happens. I want to encourage you today to recognize that God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human. He does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken or failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Ever? And my answer to that is no. God has many promises and he keeps all of them. Number three, God has a plan for you. Now, this one was kind of hard for your pastor because I like plans. Some of you guys know me. <laughs> you know me really well. I love plans. You know, the production, the pre-service meeting that we have about the whole service and the order. And when things go out of the order, these guys know. They're like, oh, God, she does not like what's happening. I like a plan because a plan is predictable. But God is not predictable. You want to know why? Because he has a plan for you. It's our job to recognize what his plan is, not for us to present him our plan. So many times as followers of Jesus, we come up with a plan. It's pretty sparkly clean. And we present it to the Lord and say, God, would you bless my plan for my life? And God's saying, I can't bless that. It doesn't resonate with the plan I have for you. See, that's what in verse 22, 23, it says, As all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is with us. 700 years before Jesus was born, a prophet talks about the birth of Jesus. You talk about why God is real. How does that happen when you have historic documents 700 years before talking about a virgin birth and it actually happens? God has a plan for each one of us. It is our job to align ourselves with his plan and say, yes, God, I love that statement. God is with us. God is with us. In other words, he is present with us right now. He is in this room. We got to pinch ourselves and be like, this is not reality. The spiritual realm is. God is here, and he's speaking to us. See, God is behind the tapestry of life, intricately and strategically weaving the threads, including our headaches, our heartaches, our struggles and challenges. I love James 1, verse 17. It says, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Man, can you imagine that this light is just like this fixture above me? It does not move. God's plan does not move. My shadow behind me does not move if I'm in his plan. But if I start moving out of his plan, guess what happens? And see, we start wondering why life isn't going according to God's plan. It's because we're moving. God's light does not move. 
Therefore, it creates no shifting shadows. I like serving God's plan. One of the things I've got to in my own personal life is I've given up on my plan. I tell myself, every time that creeps up in my life, and it does in your pastor's life, I say, God, I've given up. I need to learn to say yes to your plan. I don't know why I'm trying to create another plan outside of your will, but God, this is really stressful right now. I don't like this plan. All the headaches and the heartaches and the pain. I don't want it, God. Is there another light that you can turn on so I can just go to that plan? There is no plan B. There is one plan. You can call it plan one or plan A. There is one (laughs) plan. It's important to cling to this truth, which is that every good thing in our lives is a gift from God. In the midst of trials, we are tempted to change our opinion of the trustworthiness of our God. We start to make lists of all the things we think are missing in our life, of all the things we have lost. If God were good, wouldn't we have those things? This attitude leads to even more temptation, leads to paths even more away from God. We begin to look elsewhere for the good things of life, the things that we feel like we're still missing. See, if God won't provide them, we think we'll have to go and get them for ourselves. We attempt to take control. We struggle to find our own satisfaction. See, this is why we have to learn to be in God's plan. One of the key things to help you stay in God's plan is this simple thing that is so hard for us as human beings to do. And it is called losing our pride. It's to be humble before the Lord. And when things come at you and things hit you, to say, God, I'm saying yes to your plan. I'm saying yes to your plan. I don't want to rise up and puff up and take things into my own hands. I want to say yes to your plan. Remember years ago, I thought I was somebody in ministry. I was in a number of large churches, and we were doing missions trips. I was traveling 45 weeks of the year, and everything's good. I mean, it was fun. I didn't have to see the same people every weekend or week. (laughs) You know, it was just going and doing the thing. And I remember going on a missions trip to Nicaragua. And this is before the infighting and the civil war and things of that nature. And uh, we were ministering to people in the streets. We were ministering to people in El Salvador, Guys with guns wrapped up in T-shirts. I mean, we just jump off a, a bus and we were just zealous for God, ministering to guys in street corners in another country. <laughs> and I remember thinking, you know, like, why, why am I doing this right now? Is it the fact that I'm just stupid in my mind? You know, I've gone crazy, overpassionate, overzealous for God. And the whole trip, I kept doing the right thing to do. And then the, the two days before the end of the trip, we went and did an outreach at a landfill. And I was like, what are we doing? Are we going to look for stuff in the landfill, in, in the dump? And the outreach was for kids that are living in the landfill. And we had... Dry grains of rice. 
and we were pouring it into their hands. They would make little huts in certain parts of the landfill. There'd be birds, and I mean, the smell, and they would live. Two days before we went there, one of the kids had died because a truck unknowingly backed into a home. On the ride out on the school bus, kids running after the bus. It changed my perspective of God's plan for me when I'm uncomfortable in America. Because I said, God, I don't know if I would survive. If I had someone give me grains of rice just dry, not even water or a pot or fire to boil it, not even done in my hand. And if I was grateful, what place would I have to be to be that grateful for the plan of God in my life? And yet here we are in the greatest country in the world with heating, with coffee, with decorations, with graphics, with chairs, with cars, with pumpkin spice lattes. And we think that when things aren't going well, we're not in the plan of God. I think it's time for us to align ourselves with God's plan, to trust him in the good times and in the bad. You know, I don't want everyone to suffer all the time, right? But I remember being so grateful when I went back because I was complaining in that trip. And here's why I was complaining. They didn't have a shower. (laughs) We were living in a campground and didn't have a shower. We had to take it out of a bucket and pour it on our heads and take a shower. And I was complaining. This is why I love mission trips. You know, one day we're going to go on mission trips. I'd like for everybody in our church to go on a mission trip because it changes your perspective. It makes you know that it is good that we really are in the land of milk and honey here in America. Number four, this is my last point. God has a purpose for you. God has a purpose for you. And that feel good to hear that God has a purpose for you, not for you to be a wife or a mom. I mean, that's all good. And that's part of the purpose. But he has a purpose for you individually. Each person listening to the sound of my voice, he has a purpose for you. Verse 24 says, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. How many of us would do that? I think some of us are even now thinking of ways to get out of our own marriage, huh? We're finding reasons. I can't wait to get you when you do this or that text message comes in that phone. What is God saying about your marriage? What's God's purpose for your marriage? Some of you guys are like, I can't wait for my teenager to leave my house. What is God saying about your teenager? Some of you guys are like, I can't wait to get a better job. What is God saying about what he's given you? Some of you guys might be saying, oh, I can't wait for the dream that God had promised me to come to fulfillment. What is he saying about purpose today? See, God wants to make a difference in and through our lives. 
This is what Joseph understood. This wasn't just about Mary and him. He knew that God was doing something through their lives, that they were part of something special, and it was through their lives. But you know what else he knew? That God was doing something in his life. So many times we're worried about what other people need to do. It's time to worry about the purposes of God in and then through our life. It's bigger than church. It's bigger than what you think it may be. It's something that you have to grasp. And the only way that you can do that is through by walking in faith. Hebrews 11, 24, 38, it says, It's by faith Moses, when grown, refused the privileges of the Egyptian royal house. He chose a hard life with God's people rather than an opportunistic, soft life of sin with the oppressors. He valued suffering in the Messiah's camp far greater than Egyptian wealth because he was looking ahead, anticipating the payoff. By an act of faith, he turned his heel on Egypt, indifferent to the king's blind rage. He had his eye on the one no one can see and kept right on going. By an act of faith, he kept the Passover feast and sprinkled Passover blood on on each house so that the destroyer of the firstborn wouldn't touch them. By an act of faith, Israel walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. The Egyptians tried and drowned. By faith, The Israelites marched around the walls of Jericho for seven days and the walls fell flat. By by an act of faith, Rahab, the Jericho harlot, welcomed the spies and escaped the destruction that came on those who refused to trust God. I could go on and on, but I've run out of time. There are so so many more. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets through acts of faith, they toppled kingdoms, made justice work, took the promises for themselves. They were protected from lions, from fires, and sword thrusts, turned disadvantaged to advantage, won battles, routed alien armies. Women received their loved ones back from the dead. There were those who, under torture, refused to give in and go free, preferred something better, resurrection. Others braved abuse and whips and, yes, chains and dungeons. We have stories of those who were stoned, sawed in two, murdered in cold blood, stories of of vagrants uh, wandering the earth in animal skins, homeless, friendless, powerless. The world didn't deserve them, making their way as best they could on the cruel edges of this world. That's what we live. That's the journey we're on. That's what Christmas was about. That Jesus would make a way for us to have faith in any circumstance that we are in. That no matter what life throws at us, we have faith because of what Jesus did. See, make a conscious choice. Make a conscious choice to see Christ in Christmas. If I could, I'd have the biggest letters carved out that said Christ. I wouldn't even say Christmas. You know, one day we will. (laughs) We'll get the budget to do it. (laughs) 
but get a massive thing that says, you know what, thank you, God, for Christmas. See, that's what Advent's about. See, in, in Easter time, we have Lent, you know, and some of us, maybe we fast and we stay away from certain foods, getting ready to give praise and thanks to a God who gave his life for us. But do you know that God came down in human flesh as a baby to live a life just like you and I, to understand the pains that you and I go through and to say, yes, daughter, yes, son, I know what it feels like. Come to me. See, faith equals to that conscious choice. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. We cannot think our way through, guys. Sometimes it's different. It is to say yes to God. So during the Christmas season, I want you to ask yourself these four questions in the next few weeks as you're going towards Christmas. First is this, what do you see that reminds you of Christ? Do you see anything that reminds you of Christ in your life, in your home? And I'm not talking about symbolic things like crosses or, you know, things like that. But what do you see in your life that reminds you of Christ? In what ways do you recognize the gift of Christ in your life? You know, I always laughed, you know, when I thought about this. And I was thinking about, like, what's Jesus' gift? How many of you guys have a list that you have to buy stuff for people, right? And you're making up a budget, right? I'm not saying, you know, we're not going to take up an offering. Everyone relax, you know. But what is the gift that we're giving Jesus this season? How might you use these four reminders to focus on seeing Christ this Christmas? To what extent and what ways can you help others see Christ this season? It's an amazing thing that we have. It's an amazing pleasure that we have. It's an amazing relationship that we have. It's time to pinch ourselves a little bit and wake us up to experience life and life abundantly in who Jesus is this Christmas. So my encouragement to you today, this week, is to experience life. Don't just experience Christmas, get a whole bunch of stuff, and I'm gonna do the same thing too in the sense of, I gotta get stuff, I'm busy, there's a lot happening. But remember to put Jesus first, amen? Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. God, we thank you so much for your life. Lord, we thank you that we get to experience Christmas and to celebrate the reason for this season, God. Help us to make a conscious choice to see Christ in Christmas. Help us to see that you have a plan and a purpose for each one of us. God, help us to see that you have not forgotten us. Maybe some of us here, we're thinking, God, you have forgotten me. Lord, let your presence infiltrate the heart of that person and let them know right now that you have not forgotten them. Lord, I pray right now that the promises of God would come to fruition this Christmas season in the name of Jesus. God, I pray for the plans that you have for us to align ourselves with that plan. I pray right now for the purposes of God to be revealed to be revealed right now. To be revealed right now in the name of Jesus. God, we love you. We thank you. We praise your name, God. We thank you that you have done so much for us. 
We celebrate you right here at 11.30 at New Song Church. We celebrate you, God. We celebrate you, God, for all that you've done. In Jesus' name we ask and pray. In Jesus' name we ask and pray. And everybody said, amen.